morning we continue to look at the book of second corinthians and we are at a fascinating passage where paul has taken a break from his narration of the sequence of events that have happened we remember that paul is writing to a church which was doubting his apostleship he has written to them a hard letter and now they have repented and they have also practiced and shown their repentance in in punishing the person who was um, leading them astray by by sin and the text that is there before us this morning 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 5 to 11 gives us insights into how the church exercised discipline and also how paul writes and urges and exhorts this church to complete their exercise of discipline by showing forgiveness thereby exalting the gospel the church has punished the offender and paul when we look at when we look at chapter 7 where we see the effect of that letter which paul wrote to the church we see clearly that the church was eager it was zealous to put this person who was leading them astray who was in sin who was practicing sin and to put him out of fellowship this morning as we look at this this text i want us to as a church understand that dealing with sin in the church is a gospel matter and how we deal with sin in the church can either distort the gospel or it can exalt the gospel and i will show you two ways by which the church can be gospel centric in the way that it deals with sin church is not a place which is immune to sin we need to understand that the church is a place where believers who were once in sin are saved by god and are on a journey of sanctification to christ likeness they're on a journey to put off their old self and put on their new self and when you've got believers such kind of believers in a church there will be sin which is demonstrated and it is the duty of the church to deal with this sin as a backdrop of our Uh, the the as we look at the way the church deals with with sin we need to understand that the church is christ's church this is not the elders church this is not the church which is known by a, a the name of a man or a group or a denomination the church is the church of jesus christ and therefore as a church we obey christ in the way we deal with sin in this in the church so two ways by which i want cross culture church to be gospel centered christ exalting in the de- in dealing with sin number 1 is do not distort the gospel dear ones by exercising leniency in disciplining an unrepentant sinner we look at verses 5 and 6 where paul says now if anyone has caused pain he has caused it not to me but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you for such a one the punishment by the majority is enough paul has written to them admonishing them 
saying that you guys, you are siding with the false apostles. You are rejecting my authority, thereby rejecting the gospel. Because my authority as an apostle doesn't come from me, it comes from Christ who gave it to me. So if you are rejecting me, you are rejecting my message, you are rejecting Christ. And he wrote all of that and gave it to them. Titus took that letter to them. And then finally when they read the letter, they repented. Titus brought that good, message, good news back to Paul when he was in Macedonia. And Paul, if you look, turn your Bibles very briefly to chapter 7, 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and we look at verse 11. We see Paul's response of what happened, a summary of what had happened in response to his letter and how the church dealt with sin. Verse 11, look into your Bibles with me. For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you. But also what eagerness to clear yourself, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. Paul is, is glad. He is grateful that as a church they put this member who was in sin under punishment. There was no uh, leniency, there was no lethargy, there was no slothfulness, rather there was an eagerness to deal with the sin once they now know and once they are convicted of their sin or once they now know that this so and so person is in the wrong, that individual is in the wrong. There was no leniency like in the case of of the case of adultery which Paul wrote to them about in 1 Corinthians 5. This time they were eager to do, to do it. They were zealous to do it and they, they punished and their punishment was severe. But what did that punishment look like? We can infer from the context over here that the unrepentant sinner was put out of fellowship. There was an alienation that was done. There was a withholding of familial love and care that is the characteristic of, a, of the church of Christ. There were relational boundaries which were put in, in place. The offender in this, in this case clearly knew that he or she was not part of the gospel community of Christ. It was clear to him that this is because of unrepentant behavior, which is not the fruit of the gospel. There was a clear call to repentance. The steps that the Corinthian church took in response to Paul's letters is what is expected of the church even today, in dealing with sin. And as we look at how the church deals with sin, I want us to keep in mind that while as a corporate body, as the church, as members of the church, we uphold church discipline, that is dealing with sin and maybe excommunication and restoration and forgiveness and all, we might... Be and beware of this. You might be hypocrites. We cannot practice in public genuinely what we do not practice in private. We cannot deal with sin in a righteous manner genuinely as a church if the members of the church are not dealing with sin righteously in their day-to-day -day individual relationships. Paul is commending this church for its act of discipline. And in that act of discipline, we see how the church deals with sin. The pattern that Jesus laid out for us 
in Matthew chapter 18. The church ought to follow that religiously. In Matthew chapter 18, when Jesus is talking about the authority of the church to bind and to lose. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus was speaking to Peter and the disciples. And he says, I give you the keys to the kingdom. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you lose on earth will be, will be loosed in heaven. The keys to the church, the authority was given to the church. What is this bind and lose? This is not binding off of a particular kind of an evil spirit or anything like is popularly known in this country. This is about what decision you take pertaining who enters through the door into the kingdom of God. You hold the key. Whatever decision you take, what whoever you welcome as a church, he is welcomed in heaven. And whatever you lose, whomever you release, whomever you send out of that door with the keys that you have, he is removed from heaven. The authority is given to the church. And this Jesus gives in Matthew 16. In Matthew 18... Jesus is, is talking about sin in, 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 in the church. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Call him to repentance. If not, take others with you. Call him to repentance. If he does not, then bring it before the church. The principles of Christ's church are very clear concerning church discipline. And when the church is lenient to deal with it, it is dishonoring Christ. Paul is writing to the church saying that publicly there is this guy who is, who is leading you astray, causing you to doubt my apostleship, causing you to doubt the gospel that I preach to you. Don't be lenient. Don't delay. And the church was eager and zealous to put him out of fellowship. How does the church distort the gospel? When it shows leniency in dealing with, with sin. Firstly, the church maligns the truth of the gospel. The gospel is maligned in the church. What is the gospel? A holy God had mercy on slaves to sin the doers of the deeds of darkness, children of darkness, on those who take part in unfruitful works of darkness, by dying on the cross, taking their sin, their puni the punishment of, of sin, paid the penalty. But not only that, He now adopts them into his family, gives them his name. Not only that, he delights in them. Not only that, he counts them as righteous. Not only that, he enables them to, re to be renewed in their innermost being. For this, he wonderfully graciously, miraculously changes their inclinations, intentions, motivations and even affections by giving them new hearts. He gives his spirit to them. He gives a new family to them and he blesses them. 
That's the gospel. We who were rebels are now his children. Now if that is who we were, and that is what God did, and that is where he has brought us to be, and this is how he relates to his church, When the church tolerates deeds of darkness, then it is a shame to the work of Christ. When the church tolerates sin, is ignorant to sin, is not alert to sin, it just shows that the church has no value for what has been done, for what their identity is. And hence the church maligns the gospel. When the church is not eager in dealing with sin and disciplining the unrepentant sinner, it shows that the church has a very low view of who God is and a very high view of who man is. Now this can be looked at in two ways. Either the church looks at a person in sin, but the person is very influential, maybe an elder in the church, maybe a flamboyant preacher. And the church thinks, let's just keep it hush-hush because there are other things at stake. Let's just not deal with sin because the stakes are too high. Let's just not deal with this sin because why spoil the name of the church? Or on the other hand, who are we? We are sheep. Who are we? to point out sin in somebody else. When the church becomes a respecter of man more than living under the fear of God, then the church becomes lenient in exercising discipline. When man is exalted and God is not exalted, then the fear of man creeps in and the church says, let's not deal with him for his sake or for our sake, for his fault or for our fault, for his reputation or for ours. So being lenient, dear members, is not just ignoring the sin. It just shows the place of God in the church. When the church is lenient in dealing with sin, it shows a low view of Christ by having a very superficial or a casual understanding of his bride. Remember, it is the church to whom Christ gave the authority to bind and to lose. And if the church is not dealing with sin promptly, then it shows it has no respect for the one who has given authority. But the metaphors of the church also enable us to see the importance of dealing with sin. The metaphor of a bride, where Christ is the bridegroom and we are the church, the bride in preparation. The bride generally is, is, is working to look the best. The bride is, is, is looking to remove every sort of speckle or every sort of imperfectness in preparation. And when the church 
tolerates deeds of darkness, when the church tolerates sin, it's like a bride who says, you know, I will continue to be imperfect and I'm going to be stubborn about it. And then I go and stand before my bridegroom. <clears throat> when the church does not have the understanding that we are a bride in preparation and Christ has freed us from sin, from being slaves to sin, then the church will tolerate sin, overlook sin, deal lightly with sin, which only shows we don't care much about our bridegroom. We are concerned about our comfort today or our fears today. But then there is the, the, the metaphor of the body, of Christ being the head and we being the body, the church being the body of Christ. Naturally, when the body has an infection, there is an isolation. Naturally, the body immediately works to contain the infection. In God's divine inspiration, He has shown us that the metaphor of the church is a body. Yes, interconnected members, sensitive to each other, but the moment there is one member who is infected, there is an isolation. When the church does not understand that the body, that, that we are the body of Christ and we allow sin to spread like cancer, it only shows a very low view of our head. It only shows that maybe we don't care. Let sin spread, big deal, as long as it doesn't come near me. A very individualistic view. Not only does it demonstrate a low view of God, a low view of Christ, but a low view of the Holy Spirit who was given as a gift a promised gift to the church whose job is to convict and to comfort. When we look at the role of the Holy Spirit, it is to illuminate scriptures to the church. It is to convict. And when the church is slack in dealing with sin in the church, then it becomes... It's a, it's a low view. It's like you take a gift and put it in some corner. Use it whenever you need it. A low view of the Holy Spirit. Dear brothers and sisters, not dealing promptly with sin is going to cause lasting, hurtful, painful, ungodly impact on the life of the church. As a church, when we do not deal with sin promptly, we encourage hypocrisy. The person who is in sin comes here, takes part in communion, is worshipping God, assuming that everything is fine or maybe living in unrepentant sin and coming over here. And when the church is silent about it, is tolerant about it, are we not encouraging hypocrisy? Something which God hates. When the church is lenient in dealing with sin of an unrepentant believer, an unrepentant brother, does it not cause new believers to stumble as they come and, come and, come and watch? Hey, that brother is in, in sin, but everyone seems to be okay about it. Everyone seems to be fine. And it causes a stumbling block. And what does Jesus talk about the person who causes a little one to stumble? He says, man, they're criminals. 
when the church does not deal with sin promptly it causes divisions sin is designed to take people away from god and when sin spreads in the church years and years there is no genuine fellowship there will not be genuine worship there will only be man centered worship sin spreads like yeast it from one area it will spread to another area if it is not contained from one particular public issue if the church is not prompt in dealing with it it will move to other issues and then the whole body gets infected and that leads to the church becoming ineffective unfruitful and crippled in its mission to make disciples doesn't it there are many examples of members in the church who have lived in in, in unrepentant sin sometimes leaders who have lived in unrepentant sin and the church has been silent tolerant and then years and years and years later the sin becomes grave it becomes more public more devastating and the church goes through pain intense pain dear cross culture church do not distort the gospel by being lenient in dealing with sin but the question now is are we hypocrites in the church do we deal with sin promptly biblically in our relationships can we truly practice before god in public what we do not practice in our individual relationships confronting a brother or a sister in sin is a very hard thing but that is where faith comes that is where you put the interests of christ ahead of yours your interests of your brother ahead of yours and you confront them but you don't go all 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 guns blazing with anger you do it in a spirit of gentleness you speak the truth in love our discipling relationships need to be marked with talking about sin dealing with sin pointing out sin it is necessary otherwise it's just casual friendships what stops us from dealing with with a brother or sister's sin fear of losing a relationship well that just shows that we have such a low view and distrust in the gospel or i might hurt the other person the relationship will just break do you not trust god who uses pain suffering to reconcile to sanctify or maybe they're just insensitive to sin we do, we don't even know that the other person is sinning it's a scripture problem your mind has not been renewed enough to see that yes my brother or sister is in sin it's a problem it's a big deal it's not a small deal equip yourself but sometimes there is joy in seeing somebody in sin you're better oh that person is doing all that stuff cha so sad wicked pride and sometimes we we look at ourselves in unholy ungodly uh, humility and says who am i to point out sin in that person say don't you know how many years that person has been a believer don't you know he's preaching he's doing he's doing he, he, he prays from here and a respecter of man 
a distorted identity of yourself as a member of God's family, as a member of the body of Christ, as a bride of Christ in preparation. Another reason what stops us from dealing with a brother or sister's sin is the fear of being ridiculed. It's just pride and distrust in God. Unable to get uncomfortable is again pride. A fear of a backlash. If I go and say one thing, I will get ten things back. In all of these cases, we are showing grave distrust in the gospel. We are shunning ourselves or removing ourselves from becoming vulnerable to experience forgiveness or to give forgiveness and to exalt the gospel. What can we do in your personal relationships? What can you do? You can pray for the person. You can talk to an elder about that person if you are finding it difficult to confront. And you should confront a person who is in sin in a spirit of gentleness and speaking the truth in love. And not going with the intention of proving yourself to be right, but with the intention of exalting the gospel. Because if you don't do it, sin will continue to grow. Can you live with that on your conscience? It is an act of faith where you trust God. It's hard. It's very hard to do it. But when we depend upon God, put his, Him first, put the gospel, live in the reality of the gospel of, of forgiveness and, ex, and know that man, we were there sinning against a holy God. When we derive our strength and put our faith in the gospel, then dealing with sin in the church, no matter how hard it is, how hurtful, how painful it is, it will be done. Because now your strength comes not from justifying yourself or trying to be right or fearing, but it comes from the Lord. And that is how the church can exalt the gospel in dealing with sin rather than distort the gospel. The second way by which we as a church can, can deal with sin is to be eager to exalt the gospel in restoring the unrepentant sinner. The repentant sinner. The sinner who repents being eager to restore. It is no surprise that in Matthew 18, when Jesus, just after talking about, about dealing with sin, he immediately follows it by talking about the parable of the unforgiving servant. The goal of discipline is to restore, is to bring back the unrepentant sinner. Once he repents, bring him back to the fellowship. And Paul is concerned now that the individual who has been disciplined rightly by the church is not being restored in spite of repentance. Again, his concern is the gospel witness of the church, not his personal vindication. If the church is not accepting a repentant sinner into the fellowship, are they not acting on the basis of worldly emotions, sentimental, 
attitudes, sinful attitudes rather than spiritual fruit-bearing attitudes. And therefore Paul exhorts them that they ought to restore the brother. Let's look at verses 7 and 8. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. Now the church has put this, this individual out of fellowship. The guy has repented. But now the church is not bringing him back into fellowship. They're not forgiving him. They're not bringing him back. So Paul looks at this as a gospel issue. If they don't bring a repentant sinner back, then it is again against the gospel. Forgiveness, restoration is the beauty of the gospel. And is the beauty and the crown of church discipline. On one hand, we contain the sin and we remove the, the, the sin-causing influences from the church. But when they repent by the power of God, by the grace of God, we welcome them back. We offer forgiveness. What does this restoration include? We see three aspects of restoration. First we see is forgiveness. Paul calls the church to, to forgive this individual. So you should rather turn to forgive. How does forgiveness exalt the gospel? When the church sees the repentance, the fruit of repentance in the person whom they have disciplined and the church now forgives the person. Isn't it an example of the forgiveness that we have received? That the church itself has received? Are we not emulating the character of God? Now obviously, in church discipline, the sin is of a public and grave character. But our sin before God was, was grave, was public, was cosmic. But yet God accepted us. He forgave us our sin. And when we do that as a church to, an to, to a repentant believer, to a, to a person under discipline, we emulate God and thereby exalt God, exalt Christ, exalt the gospel. But not just that, forgiveness is hard. It's hard when you've been hurt, when it has caused you pain, as Paul has put it over here. Forgiving somebody truly is not just about forgetting what they have done. It is accepting the pain that they have inflicted on you. It is accepting it. Not trying to forget it. Not trying to just fix up the problem so that the pain becomes less and it's easier to relate to the person. No, it is accepting the pain. And when the church forgives, it is a hard thing to do. It is a difficult thing to do. And therefore, forgiveness is an act of faith. It is an act that no one can do without depending upon God. Remember, forgiveness is not just about lowering or numbing down the, the pain so that it's easy to just relate. You know, let's not talk about that issue. As long as we don't talk about those particular things, Unforgiveness leads to bitterness. And one of the characteristics of bitterness is that the event of 
getting hurt is so fresh. The details are very fresh because it's been replaying again and again, periodically, time to time. It's just been coming again and again and again, and we hold it against the other person. No matter how much we try to say that, no, no, I'm not holding it against anybody. It's just the fact that, you know, it's just playing over and over and over and over again. That's a sign of bitterness. For years and years and years. Because we sometimes try to forgive people uh, by our ideas of patch-ups and band-aids. But forgiveness is an act of faith where we depend upon God because it's hard. It's just difficult. When you have been pained, the church has been pained, Paul has been grieved, and their act had led to Paul getting, getting sorrowful, daily anxiety, and, and Paul writing a tearful letter to them, them crumbling down and, and being led to repentance. And now Paul is saying, forgive this guy. Some people in the church might be saying, how could we, Paul, after all that he has done? Paul says, exalt the gospel. Don't think about you or what they've done to you. It's about are we witnessing the gospel in the way we are forgiving? Are we depending upon God in the way we, we forgive truly? Bitterness, having a judgmental attitude, self-pity are reasons why we withhold forgiveness from people. Remember again, we cannot truly and genuinely practice in public what we do not truly believe and practice in private in our one-to-one -one relationships. But Paul says that's not all. Forgiveness and the next step is comfort. Paul says, when this guy comes back, when this person whom you have put out repents and now you are, you've forgiven him and comes back, don't just stand there with your hands like this. You know what? We've forgiven you. Now we're at zero. But comfort the person. Encourage. Exhort. Push on. Cause him to persevere. That's the idea of comfort here. Don't be passive. Don't be numb to the person who is being brought back into fellowship. At times, when we bring back a brother or a, or a sister back from discipline into the fellowship, I think there are other people who will deal with him or deal with her. It's not my responsibility. You know, I'm just going to keep my distance. No. Paul says, comfort. Step one is forgiveness. But step two is now actively go comfort the person. The comfort that we have received from God in the forgiveness of our sins and the love that He has shown, the fellowship that we experience, take that and give it to this brother. Comfort them. Don't keep yourself, keep yourself away. Offering comfort exalts the gospel. By showing that you have truly forgiven the person. 
and now you are willing to be one with them in their walk encouraging exhorting you share the blessedness of forgiveness with them and paul urges them in verse 8 i urge so i beg you to reaffirm your love for him it's not just forgiveness not just comfort but reaffirming of love for this individual this is not a patch up kind of love this is a love that forbears a love that is steadfast this is a love that can be shown only by the ones who have received such kind of love the reaffirmation of love to to surround this person with with love and care in all of this you know what the church is doing the church is faithfully exercising its authority remember the keys of the kingdom are given to the church by forgiving by comforting and by reaffirming love the individual now has the blessed confidence that i am welcomed back into the kingdom of god because the church has welcomed me back i am loved in the kingdom of god because the church has reaffirmed its love for me because christ gave the authority to the church and if the church is not being forgiving comforting and reaffirming in love then it is abusing its authority it is misusing its authority it is overburdening a child of god with sorrow and that is not the gospel the individual when he sees forgiveness comfort and the reaffirmation of of love by the church oh the confidence that he has that i am loved by god again i am loved by god that's the confidence he gets then he can say with david as david says blessed is the one whose iniquities the lord does not count blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven oh blessed is the one and i am experiencing this blessedness here and i have confidence that i am blessed in the sight of god because the church has accepted me because the church has welcomed me because the church is comforting me because the church has reaffirmed its love for me that's the authority and the importance given to the church and that's paul's problem here that's paul's problem if the church is not doing it it's abusing its authority and hence restoring a member restoring the one under discipline is an act of obedience it is an act of 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 authority verse 9 for this is why i wrote that i might test you and know whether you are obedient in everything obedient in what obedient in exalting the gospel and exercising your authority judiciously and honestly with integrity being obedient in everything so when the church does not show forgiveness and love it is acting in gross disobedience 
disobedience to the authority of Christ, to the authority of Scripture. And that is why Paul, he, he brings the idea of authority in verse 10 as well. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven, if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ. This is the same language that he used in 1 Corinthians 5 and the same language that is used by Jesus. Wherever two or three are gathered, I am there in their midst. So whatever you pronounce, the authority is given to you. And Paul is bringing that idea again. Church of Corinth, you have the authority in the presence of Christ. Welcome this brother. Welcome this man. Don't think, how, how could he? How can we? Don't say, yeah, 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 you can come, but you know what? Mm. We're going to keep away from you for some time. No, you're in the presence of Christ. Exercise your authority well. Restoration, or when a church does not restore a repentant individual. Then it is just following the scheme and affirming the ideas of Satan. Verse 11. So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. Paul says, do it so that we are not taken for a ride. So by not doing it, we are taken for a ride. Unforgiveness is a distrust in the gospel and that is what Satan is all about. Distrust God, distrust what he has done, distrust forgiveness, doubt God. Can we truly in good faith restore as a church if we cannot forgive, comfort and love In our individual lives, think of the fellow member whom you have not forgiven. Think of your spouse whom you have not forgiven. Bitterness leads to slandering, backbiting. The wounds are fresh. Sometimes we think we enjoy being bitter because the focus is on us. Sometimes we think that it is our right to be bitter and we take a lot of joy in it. But I hope you now see what a great distortion it is to the gospel. We fail to forgive because we are judgmental. I just cannot accept. Our relationship is permanently tainted. That crack will always be there. So you stay five steps away. It just shows self-righteousness. That's the whole idea of Satan, is it? You become God, you pass judgment. That's what he did to Eve. Who is God? He told you. No, 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 no. You decide for yourself what is right and what is wrong. So in our self-righteousness, we decide that it is right for us to ignore the gospel, harbor bitterness, withhold forgiveness, withhold love, withhold comfort, put barriers before us in our relationship with people, and we play God, and we feel good about it. What a great distortion it is. We fail to forgive, comfort, and love those specially very close to us when they hurt us. Because of self-pity. We feel offended. We seek sympathy. And then we enjoy sympathy. 
Sometimes sympathy comes from within. Sometimes it comes from people around. All of it is false. All of it is ungodly. If it does not lead you to repentance. Dear church, I want you to see that dealing with sin promptly, sternly, strongly, and dealing with a repentant sinner gently, lovingly, forgivingly are marks of a gospel-centric church as a corporate body and as individual members. But I want you to, in closing, also know that what is at stake is not the reputation of the church, but it is the glory of God. When the church exalts the nature of God, the work of God, who gets the glory? It's God who gets the glory. And when the church doesn't do that, God's name is not glorified. And that's the problem. When we side with unforgiveness, we are siding with the devil, the enemy, the distorter, And we don't give God glory. Your unforgiving attitude in your individual relationships have consequences to the witness of the church and to the glory of God. How long will you walk in hypocrisy? It is an act of faith. Take your weakness and ask God to crush it. Take your pride and ask God to crush it so that you can exalt the gospel in your relationships. So that we can exalt the gospel as a church. So that God will be glorified. We need Jesus. We need Jesus. In dealing with sin. Let's pray. Dear Lord, you have given us the authority as a church. You have given sinful men and women like us such a great, great authority. Help us, O oh Lord, as cross-cultured church to always walk in faithfulness in dealing with sin. We rely on you, Lord. We rely on your grace, your strength, your wisdom in dealing with sin. Oh Lord, may we not see the day when, when C-Cube tolerates sin. Let it not happen, Lord. Let it not happen, O oh Lord, that C-Cube becomes a church where unforgiveness is exalted. But Lord, we humble ourselves before you, Lord. We need you. We need you in the way we deal with sin, Lord. And we know that you are with us. We know that you sustain and you hold us. Give us wisdom, Lord. Give us wisdom. This is your church, O oh Lord. This is, us. This is your church. We are your people and we need you, Lord, to exalt the gospel in our relationships. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.